So, brothers and sisters, the call of the Christian life is faith and obedience. It's one thing to confess faith in Christ, and that's no small thing. Uh, To stand up and say, I believe in Christ, is the call of Christ himself. In Luke 12, verse 8, our Lord even says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Of course, even there, it depends on whether you have a a true knowledge of Christ from God's Word. Uh, We are not free to decide who Christ is or what Christ we confess. The the name itself, Christ, is, is not enough, just as it wouldn't be enough for you. Think about it. It wouldn't be enough for you if someone uses your name but decides for themselves who you are and and what they believe about you. But if you know Christ from God's word, and if you understand the gospel, then you are ready to make a, a true confession of faith in Jesus Christ. However, the the chief mark of a true confession is that you will live for Christ. And what does that mean, to live for Christ? It cannot mean to live without sin, to live perfectly, otherwise no one lives for Christ. To live for Christ means to strive. That word, strive, seems to me to be the most common word, uh, at least uh, within my perspective, uh, about the effort of the Christian life. The Christian life is an effort. It's a a striving. Uh, If the effort is not there, then the Christian life is not there. But when the effort is there, when, when the one who has confessed Christ is striving to live for Christ, then the evidence is there that the confession is real and true. And yet, sadly, the effort waxes and wanes, does it not? The striving of the Christian life ebbs and and flows, and and thus the need for the regular preaching of God's word and the gospel. There is need for the gospel to be heard again and again. We need to be reminded, we need to be called back again again and again to the Christian life. And so it is that God has ordered that on the first day of of the week, at the start of every week, we gather to hear the gospel again, to hear that we are saved by the work of Christ, so that we are prepared to live another week for Christ. And so that our work is always the matter of of our thankfulness. On Monday morning, when you show up on time for your job uh, and work hard at your job throughout the week, you are not earning your salvation, but instead living for Christ in grateful response. When you are gracious and forgiving toward your spouse, toward your children or your parents, you are not earning your salvation, but instead living for Christ in grateful response to a salvation that is full and free as a gift 
to you by the work of Christ for you. We need to be reminded of this because otherwise we slip back into the the mindset of, of trying to be good enough unto salvation. Uh, so on one hand, we, we are in danger of pride, slipping back into a, a works-based salvation, even if our works are just a portion of, of, of the work that saves us, it, it yet condemns us. Even if our, uh, or, or on the other hand, we are in danger, on the other hand, of, of despair, Because, again, if we are honest, we see that our works, our obedience, our practiced righteousness will never yield true righteousness. We need the forgiveness that comes from God. We need the righteousness that comes from Christ. We need His perfect obedience credited to us for our salvation. Well, we we start out in this way, or I start, start out in this way, because this is... The, the second sermon, into the third part of Romans. Remember, send salvation service. It's, it's a genius triad of themes that helps us understand the Christian life that we are currently living. And, and I assume that that's why you're here. Maybe I assume too much. But otherwise, are, are you not here because you know that God is holy that you are a sinner and you know and believe and confess that Christ has provided both forgiveness and righteousness for your salvation. So sin, salvation, service. You are here to appear by, by God's own summons, to appear before a holy God. Doing so, you are here to know again, to be reminded that you are a sinner before God. But further, you are here to receive the promises of the gospel again so that you will be in the best position to live for Christ in this coming week. So as we continue on in Romans 12, let's first consider that Scripture calls us to positive, negative thinking. With this reference uh, to our thinking Let's remember that the book of Romans from the beginning calls us to think differently. To think differently and correctly about God, to think differently and correctly about ourselves, and to think differently and correctly about Christ. And the difference must be the difference between truth and our native sinful thinking. We are given in the flesh to make up a God, small g, God, of our own choosing. Thus, we are given to think of ourselves other than the Bible speaks of us. How dare the Bible charge us with sin? How dare the Bible say that we are sinners? And how dare the Bible define our sin even as a condition, uh, uh, even as our very nature, and, and, and one that renders us justly deserving of the wrath and judgment of God. But here's where we can see that, that if we do not plead guilty to the charge of sin made by God in His Word, the gospel makes no sense. Here is where the firemen, remember, the firemen breaking down our door and carrying us off to safety, will make no sense and will only annoy us 
until we are aware of the, of the real danger we're in. So even as Paul turns now to obedience, even as he calls us to strive for the good, he does so acknowledging both the grace of God as well as the, the standard of goodness set forth in God's word. He writes in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Curious thing, the the otherworldly thing is that here we are called to think negatively about ourselves. Of course, it's it's the negative thinking that is first needed to even see your need for Christ and his salvation for you. But even after you admit that you are a sinner, even after you confess your sin, the call of the Christian life is to think with sober judgment about yourself. And Paul even makes the connection between such negative thinking and faith. It's almost as if Paul is saying, if you have enough faith to do it, then think all the more negatively about yourself. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Isn't that what Paul is saying? If you, if you have the faith to do it, then think about yourself with sober judgment. And the point is not to say, you know, oh, well, if, if, if you don't think negatively about yourself, then, then, uh, then that will do too. Instead, Paul is saying, God's word is teaching that this is what faith is. Yes, faith is a bold, positive trust in Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is the most positive thing you will ever hear in this world. But the message of the gospel comes, is heard and and held to our greatest comfort when we think of ourselves with sober judgment. Christian life must be lived by way of negative thinking. Sorry to Norman Vincent Peale and 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 others who would have us think positively about everything. The Christian life must be lived by way of negative thinking. But contrary to how many, even in the church, speak and teach, it's it's a positive negative thinking. On one hand, it's negative. What could be more negative than to think of yourself as a sinner? Okay, so there's something more negative, namely thinking of yourself as a sinner under the judgment of God for your sin. And that's what Paul is getting at. That's the starting point of the, of the Christian life. It's, it's the starting point for saving faith, to know the conviction of sin, but it's the continuing point in the Christian life. How can you go from, I'm a sinner, I deserve the... the uh, the judgment of God for my sin. How can you go from that to, I am better than you are. I am the highest person in the church. I am to be served rather than to serve others in the church. So the call is to think about ourselves with sober judgment. Previously, we noted that Paul's words, the mercies of God, 
in verse 1, and the words, the renewal of your mind, in verse 2, that these are a kind of summary, uh, at least a, a reference back to all that Paul has already taught about salvation. Here, here now, with the word sober judgment, Paul is summarizing, or at least referring back, to all that he taught in the first part about sin. Remember again the outline, the structure of the, of the book of Romans. Chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, teaches sin. Chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 11, teach, teaches salvation. Now in chapter 12 through 16, the teaching is on service. How shall we then live? To use uh, the words of one Reformed scholar and writer, how shall we then live? But the point here from Paul is that we must not forget what he has already taught. We must not forget our salvation, but instead live in response to the salvation we have in Christ. But if we, if we would live the Christian life, neither can we forget the first part, that we are sinners that we have no righteousness by which to stand before God in the end, except the righteousness that is the gift of God in Jesus Christ and is ours by faith. So it all fits together. Can we see that? Sin, salvation, service. If we don't know our sin, we will not care about, we will not receive God's salvation in Christ. And then the connection to service, it's only as we are saved in Christ escaping hell and receiving heaven, that we will be ready to live for Christ, even presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God as our spiritual worship, the reasonable, rational, logical response to God's grace to us in Christ. But having connected sin to salvation and salvation to service, here Paul is really connecting sin to service, which needs to be carefully clarified, because it's, it's not that we are sinners, thus we need to serve in order to be saved, to be careful not to get the order mixed around, but even as we serve, and, and serve in response to the pure gift of salvation, we must do so keeping a sober judgment of ourselves. It will be a matter of positive, negative thinking, a proper self-assessment that establishes the humility, and oh how we need humility, establishes the humility to live the Christian life. It's, It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's first about Christ and His glory, His honor, and we must discover how liberating, how liberating, how, uh, what freedom is found as we quit making it about me. As we think of ourselves with sober judgment, we look to Christ for our righteousness. So when we fall to sin, we still have the righteousness of Christ. Our sin doesn't affect, it doesn't cancel the righteousness that saves us. Because the righteousness that saves us is the righteousness of Christ. 
But as we think of ourselves with sober judgment, we will also be looking to serve Christ and one another within the church. It all fits together. And again, it's, it's the logic. It's the reasonableness of the Christian life. If the truth of the gospel will be established in our thinking as believers in Jesus Christ. So the second point is personal, churchly thinking. Again, we are, we are talking about how we think. The call of God's word is to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Paul calls us to this renewal by everything he has taught already leading up to chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Most of the time, we, we either reject the assignment, no, that's not for me, I, I, I will live for myself, or we accept the assignment as if we can do it on our own. Instead, we need to think differently in order to live differently, different from our sinful nature. And the further way that we must think differently is by a personal, churchly thinking. I'm not sure that churchly is really a word, but I think it's understandable and, and, and that it fits what we're being taught here. Paul is, is clearly addressing each believer individually. Of course, it's, it's always possible, uh, possible for us to hear God's word and say, uh, oh yes, uh, that's a great message for so-and-so to hear. Um, that person needs to hear this. But God's word is, is addressed to each of us, each of us personally. But even as we hear God's word personally, we must also hear the call to live within the church, to live out our personal faith within a community of faith. And I think it's telling and, and significant that this is where uh, uh, Paul first goes as he, as he calls us to the, to the Christian life. He writes in verse 4, and as, for, um, uh, and as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so though many, are we not one body in Christ and individual members one of another? Again, note the personal and the corporate references, all together in one. We, we are individuals. We each have a personal faith in Christ. If you don't have a personal faith in Christ, then be warned that hanging out with Christians is not going to save you. Christ himself calls you personally, individually, into a one-to-one relationship with him. But even as we answer his call personally and individually, he calls us into his church. And his church is his body, says scripture, his body, at least here on earth. And as every body, uh, as in every body, there are many parts, many members. So the church is made up of many members, all fitting together, all functioning 
as one, exactly because Christ has made us one. Verses 6 through 8 record a a kind of inventory of gifts, ways in which uh, each of us might contribute to the whole. Even here at Terre Haute, Reformed Presbyterian Church, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. That probably refers mostly to me as, as your preacher and your, and your pastor. The call for me is to prophesy, to preach the, the Word of God. Uh, then a more general statement, if service in our serving. Is that why you are here? Are you here to serve? Are you, are you a member of this church because you want to serve? Of course, it's both receiving and serving, depending on where you are in a given day or, or season of your life. But that's the amazing thing, that even as you are served, you are serving. Maybe you need encouragement or financial help. Uh, even as you receive the, the preaching and teaching of the church, yet you can also be serving someone else in the church. Never underestimate how uh, Christ might use you in the church. As much as you need from the church, at the very same time you can be giving, you can be serving others in the church because we are the body of Christ. The hand that, the hand that scratches the knee is held up by the knee. The leg that holds up the body is... is uh, um, ha, really has no true purpose apart from the rest of the body. So the leg is holding up the body, but if the rest of the body weren't there, then what's the point of the leg? It, it, it should be no surprise that, that this is the metaphor that Scripture uses repeatedly for the church. We all fit together. We work together. We carry out a common purpose having been made one in Christ Jesus. And yet there is a certain emphasis on preaching, teaching, and leading. Verse 7 continues, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, and then in verse 8, the one who leads with zeal. So there can be no doubt that your pastor and elders have important work to do, but But no one is left out of this instruction. All have a part. I would be wrong not to ask you what your part is. What membership you have in the body of Christ. Membership. Maybe maybe we think of membership simply as having our names on the roll. But the teaching of God's Word, according to the teaching of God's Word, membership means function. Membership means participation. Membership means serving. That's the key word, serving within the body of Christ. Finally then, hopeful, joyful faith. The last five verses in our text give us a a series of commands, even a a barrage of, of commands. It's, it's all in the imperative. 
Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affections. Once again, we, we see the, the corporate, the, the churchly nature of the Christian life. And, and then more imperatives. Be fervent. Serve the Lord. Rejoice. Be patient. Be constant. Contribute. Show hospitality. It cannot be denied that it's all the matter of the imperative. Commands are being given. It almost reads like the, like the Ten Commandments. But it's not just about commands. It's not just about law-keeping. Because in the midst of the commands is the call to rejoice in hope. The call... Or, or, or that call or command to rejoice in hope is especially important, I think, because it, 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 it flavors all the rest of the commands. These are not just commands, and, and of course, neither should the Ten Commandments just be cold commands. The law of God should, should always be our joyful, hopeful endeavor. And not hopeful in the sense that we that that if we obey, we might maybe just possible, hopefully get to heaven by being good enough. No, here is the reason why Romans twelve through sixteen is about gratitude, because all that we do as Christians is the matter of gratitude. The Christian life can be, even must be, lived in thankfulness with a sure hope. The hope that heaven is coming, the hope that eternal life is ours already in Christ. So the call is to rejoice in hope. I guess that's the one command, the one imperative here that I would have us focus on mostly the other ones we can meditate on and and consider how we might answer these imperatives these commands these calls from god himself of course you're not going to rejoice if 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 it's only a hope that says well i i only hope so instead here is the sure hope the sure hope of heaven and eternal life. That's what Paul has taught in the in the in the second part of his of his letter to the Romans. The, the sure hope, the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. So it's not the matter of, well, I I I hope so. It's a matter of knowing by the promise of God that we are forgiven, that we are righteous, that we have eternal life even now. So it's the hope given us by Romans 3.21 through Romans 11. So once again, we have, a, we have a kind of summary statement. The mercies of God, verse 1. The, the renewal of your mind, verse 2. These are kind of summary statements of all that Paul has taught. And now here in verse 12, another summary statement, rejoice in hope. And what hope is this? in which we can rejoice. It is the hope of the gospel. 
It is the hope of the person and the work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. That's what I have. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us every reason, every reason to rejoice in hope. And out of our joy and our, our thankfulness, you call us to, to live a life of serving Christ by serving one another within the church's body. Grant each of us, O Lord, to consider by the leading of your Spirit and by your Word how we might serve within the church, how we might be a blessing to others in the church. Give us attention to the world and to how we can bring others into the church, but help us to recognize that it is the church where we are called to serve. And indeed, help us to have that understanding of what the church is and what the church does and, and what we are called to do as we are members not just on the roles of the church, but members, uh, active parts to this body of your people. We thank you for Terre Haute Reformed Presbyterian Church. We ask your blessing upon us that we might live out these truths and answer your call day by day for the sake of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.